It was a dark and stormy night, the kind that grips you with fright, cause the raging wind is howling like a beast, and the rain pounds without cease. In the darkness I stood alone, with nothing but my thoughts to roam, as lightning flashed across the sky, illuminating fears that I felt and I could not deny. In the middle of the storm's fierce might, I felt a stirring, an urge to take flight, escape the night, and leave behind what held me tight, and chase my dreams and win the fight. But the winds and rain clung hard to me, while I tried and tried to set myself free from the darkness, from the secrets, and from the unknown. Or could I make the storm my own? Was there a way to figure it out? Beyond a doubt, a way out. I looked about, but I couldn't see a way out. I couldn't break free. But then, a light came looking for me. It was that light that set me free from the storm that roared inside of me. He was that light, a shining light. That light who brought me hope and helped me to ignite a fire that would burn so bright and make all right my dark and stormy night. Storylines. Write good things. Just a note, we had originally scheduled communion for this week, and we're going to uh, push it back to next week. So if you're expecting communion, we will be observing that next week with our Memorial Day weekend also. In 1993, 20-year-old uh, Laramian Bird was attending a party in Minneapolis. Another teenager who was attending that party the same night was a young man by the name of Oshia Israel. A, something broke out, a fight, whatever, that night, but Oshia pulled out a gun, and before the dust had settled, Laramian uh, La, Bird had been shot and had been killed. Israel was sentenced to 25 years behind bars for second-degree murder, while the mother of the victim was sentenced to life without her only child. As Bird's mother, Mary Johnson, looked at her son's killer in the courtroom, she struggled with feelings of anger and resentment. However, it was her faith that compelled her to forgive. So she told the young man that she forgave him, even as she struggled with the bitterness that she was dealing with, inside. But that anger failed to subside. So many years after fighting with her emotions, she made the decision to reach out to Israel, and she arranged a meeting at the Minnesota Correctional Facility. She said, I don't know you, and you don't know me. You didn't even know my son, and he didn't know you. But we need to lay down a foundation to get to know one another. Conversation Proved cathartic for both Israel and Johnson. Israel acknowledged what he had done. He asked through tears for Johnson's forgiveness. And they met together. And before she walked out of that room, they hugged and embraced each other. Israel returned to his cell. And Johnson reflected about what happened. She said this, I just hugged the man who murdered my son. And I instantly knew that all anger and animosity, all of the stuff that I had held in my heart for 12 years was over. 
question is, how can a person do something like that? How can a person just forgive like that? How can a person hug the murderer of her only child? How can a person overcome bitterness in his life? Now, the truth of the matter is that there's probably, I hope, nobody in this room that's dealing with a situation quite like that. Could be. At the same time, there are probably people that are sitting in this room that you are dealing with a situation where you were deeply hurt, where you were deeply injured, where something in your life was literally turned upside down, where you dealt with some extreme trauma of some sort, and it left you wrestling with the emotions of bitterness. And maybe it's something recent, or maybe it's something that happened long ago in the past, and yet you still find yourself going back there, and you try to say to, to work through it, and it's like, how do I get over it? There's been this injustice. And where some people say, well, that was just a long time ago, or it's no big deal, or you just need to move on, it's hard, isn't it? Because there are things that happen to us, circumstances, people, whatever it happens, and it changes the trajectory of our life, and it changes from what could have been to what is, or from what was to what is now, and we deal with the lingering effects of that event, but we also deal with the lingering effects of how it impacted us. So we have this event, but then we also have the residual. We have the fallout. And the event, sure, that's long gone and done with, but how it impacts us and how it just lingers with it, well, that can bring a lot of dark and stormy nights to our soul. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to find hope. We want to find help, and we're going to find that in God's Word. So let me encourage you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're just going to read a few verses this morning, four verses. The book of Hebrews, we don't actually know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but it was written to the Jews or the Hebrews. And part of it was to affirm them in their faith and to affirm them in their faith by going back and looking at a lot of the Old Testament teachings and practices and then showing how that Christ was the fulfillment of these Old Testament things. And as we get to the end of this book, though, there's a little bit of a transition that takes place. And the writer is actually laying out some very practical things, like here's how to live your life then. Realizing that Jesus is the fulfillment of your Jewish faith and realizing that Jesus is now the center of your faith, here's how it should translate into your day-to-day -day life. And so we jump in a little bit in the middle here when we get to these verses, but we'll start reading in verse number 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then notice this verse. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So just four verses this morning, and to be completely honest, these are not the easiest verse verses to interpret. In fact, I'll show you that in just a minute, how the translators have struggled with these verses a little bit. But they're really insightful and helpful in that they help us deal with this issue of bitterness, which can take up such dark places in our soul. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk a little bit about the descent of bitterness, how we get there, 
We're going to talk about the deception of bitterness. The lies of bitterness tells us that we somehow think will work. So that's why we go there. And then we'll talk about the decision about how to live without bitterness or actually to live bitter-free, if that's possible. So let's just talk about this descent into bitterness to begin with. Bitterness, by the way, isn't necessarily what we feel when we've been treated unfairly or wronged. What we feel in the immediate moment is more like hurt or sometimes it's even more like anger. Bitterness is like what remains after those initial emotions passed. And so in that moment we react, the moment is over, we move on, but the bitterness is what remains and goes with us. It's the residual. It's like the mark that was left by the original circumstance. So the bitterness process goes like this. I start as the victim of an injustice, and sometimes that's a perceived injustice, but even a perceived injustice is still real to me in the fact that I felt it, that I experienced it. And so it's sometimes caused by others. In fact, a lot of times in our life when we struggle with bitterness, it's like so-and-so did this to me, or they didn't do such and such, and here's how it affected me, or, or they said this about me. Sometimes, or oftentimes maybe even, bitterness is ca caused by other people, the circumstances. Sometimes it's actually circumstances themselves. We live in a broken world. We live outside of the garden, and we've all had this experience where something happens to us. It's not necessarily that somebody did something. It's just an event or a circumstance or a situation that comes our way that happens to us, and we become the victim of that. And so it's caused by others sometimes. It's caused by circumstances sometimes. And then here's where we go. It's caused by God, at least in our minds. Sometimes this bad thing happens and we're like, no, I'm not really blaming God for it. But God, you could have prevented it, right? God, you allowed it right. You, al you allowed this injustice to come into my story. And if you've ever asked that question, why? Well, that's what we're talking about here. There's an injustice that happened and why? And so it starts with that injustice then I'm an emotionally impacted. Originally, I mentioned you feel hurt and you feel that injury. And then it gradually turns into something that's more inner and lingering and emotional. And it happens that way because typically that injustice doesn't get addressed. If you have an injustice and somebody comes back and says, boy, I'm terribly wrong. I'm really sorry about that. That makes it a whole lot easier for us to deal with the bitterness. Not always. But if it doesn't get addressed... It's like the person who maybe who did that is like, yeah, well, you know, your problem, not mine. Or seems to be like, like oblivious to it. There's maybe no acknowledgement, no admission of wrong. There's certainly no apology that comes with it. There's no attempt to rectify the situation or to reconcile. There's no remorse that comes with that. And that's when bitterness really starts to fester inside of us because we sense the justice hasn't been done. In our world, in our moral mindset, and because we're made in the image of God, we are like, justice should be done. And we're created that way, and when justice isn't done, it affects us. And it's like, what do I do with this? Because justice isn't being done, and it's not going to be done. But then that hurt lingers, and it grows into something more serious. And it grows into this thing that we call bitterness, 
and we take it with us, and we hold on to it somehow in our minds thinking that it weaponizes or, or, or gives us weapons to fight back against the hurt. And so when I feel that hurt, my response to it is actually bitterness. And I start, though, to replay the loop. And sometimes this thing happens, and I just keep going over and over and over again in my mind, and it, it just spins. Or sometimes it's something that maybe happened in the past, and I think I've put it to bed, and I'm finally done with it. And something else over here happens, and that seems to trigger it, and I'm right back there to that situation, and I'm going through it again. And we get into that loop there, and it takes root and I love that term, and it's a term that we just read in that verse, but it takes root inside of us. And you get the idea of roots, and we'll talk about that just a little bit more in a minute. But that resentment becomes bitterness, and it just starts to take up space in us. But it affects how we look at life. It affects how we approach life. It affects even our relationships in life. It affects, it affects even our mental and emotional and spiritual well-being. But it starts to give us a very slanted outlook, how we view things. Sometimes we become overly sensitive, and sometimes we become easily offended. Why? Because we've been hurt in the past, and, and, and we're going to be hurt again. Or sometimes we retreat, because, and we, we put up that wall of protection. I've been hurt before. I'm not going to let myself get hurt again. Or maybe we become very suspicious of people, and like, okay, you know, I know you're saying this, but I'm going to wait and see what you do before we actually you know, give you approval in this situation. But it, in the end, it actually makes us miserable. And so we have this thing that happens here, and we end up here because we go through these stages or the descent down into bitterness. And let's be honest, it's a pretty natural reaction. If you've never struggled with this in your life, you're way beyond me. Because this is what we do because it seems wrong and because it, it hurts and because it, it has such a negative impact on us in the moment. The problem is that we let us continue to have a negative impact on us as we go through. And that brings us to the deception of bitterness then. The first deception of bitterness is that we think this, that by getting bitter, it will somehow be effective. And we would never say that. And yet, that must be what we're thinking because, well, okay, if I'm bitter, that, it, it, it allows me somehow to, like, even the scales in my mind. But it actually doesn't make you feel any better. The other thing it doesn't do is it doesn't make the perpetrator, whoever did this to you, it probably doesn't make them feel any worse. In fact, they may not even know that you're bitter and you're having bitter and, and like, it's some type of revenge against them and they have no clue. It's not really working for you. And actually what it does is it lets that person retain power in your story. It doesn't allow you to feel any better. It just repeats your suffering. It doesn't fix the situation. And so that's the first deception that comes. It's like, okay, I'm just going to go there because I've earned the right or whatever to feel this way. It's not going to help anything. It's not going to fix the situation. It's not going to fix you. The second deception is that bitterness is harmless. Okay, yeah, I feel a little bitter. I'm carrying a grudge or I just don't like that person and whatever. And it doesn't really matter. It's just my issue and it doesn't really hurt anything. 
And that's what this passage is saying here. And this is really why the writer's writing Hebrews saying, hey, it matters. It's harmful. And it's not just harmful to you. It's harmful all the way around you. Verse number 15 again. See it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. What is this verse saying then to us? It's saying don't fall short of the grace of God. It doesn't mean that you can lose your salvation. It means that God is giving grace to you in how you respond to the injuries of your life should be affected by that grace. And if you respond the wrong way, you are denying the grace of God or you're, you're keeping the grace of God out of the situation. And God wants to give you and put his grace into that situation. So falling short would mean that you're living without grace in that experience that you've had. And falling short of grace means this then, that you're allowing a bitter, ro uh, bitter, ro a bitter root to grow up in you. And when you do that, you're allowing poisonous or toxic things into your soul that will have far-reaching effects. So this is an interesting translation. Let's go ahead and put that up there on the screen. This is the NIV, which we've been reading this morning. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now, in this translation, bitter is used as an adjective, the idea being that the root could be anything, but if you were to taste it, it would be bitter. Okay? Agreeing with this is the, the net version of, of the uh, translation of the Bible. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that, that uh, no one be like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, and through it many become defiled. Again, the same idea, using bitter almost as an adjective in, in this situation. So, and they would say, or the translators here, the idea is that any negative, any ungodly, any unrighteous thing can be that bitter root. Most of the translations of the Bible translate this differently, though. And if you grew up in the King James, it looks a lot differently. So let's just look at that. Is that my next one up there? Yep. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness. You see the difference there? We went from bitter root to root of, differ, uh, of bitterness, springing up trouble, you. See that word in italics? The King James Version does this, where the translators want you to understand something that's not actually in the text. They'll put a word in that's in italics. It's not in the text, but it's to help you understand. So that word you, they've inserted that, and this is the only translation that do, does that. But the translators of the King James are like, bitterness affects you and others. And so they just consider that word to help you understand that. But they call it a, a root of bitterness. Let's go to the next one. This is the English Standard Version. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Again, same idea. Next one. Uh, New American Standard. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes you trouble. The next one. Christian Standard. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God, no root of bitterness. Okay, you're getting the idea here. And I think the last one we have is the New Living Translation. Here's how they handle it. They just take both ideas, all right? Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness. There we go. We covered both sides of it. Grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. But most of the translations then take this as an indication that the root is specifically bitterness. 
And that if you allow bitterness in your life, it's going to have a very negative effect on you, obviously, but it's also going to have a very negative effect on everybody else around you. So, let's back up, read verse 12 and 13 again to get a ramp into this, and let's look at what this verse actually tells us about how we can deal with bitterness in our lives. So, verse number 12, Therefore strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees. What this is saying is, in your own flesh, you're going to be tired, your knees are going to be weak, it's going to be hard to live out your faith, okay? But do it. Don't sit there paralyzed. God's building a faith and you take action on it. As you take action on it, you're going to make straight paths for your feet and for those around you. So what is lame may not be dislocated, but be healed instead. In other words, you take faith. And then you do everything that you can to help those around you with their faith. And then it gets to verse number 14. Pursue peace with everyone. Pursue holiness. Without that, no one will see the Lord God. So how do we pursue peace is answered then. Later there, what we pursue peace by not letting bitterness take root. How do we live up to the grace of God? That's verse number 15. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. How do we live up to that grace? We show grace in our relationships by not practicing bitterness. How do people see God in us? It says, without it, no one will see the Lord. And and most translators believe that that means that when we are living, if we have bitterness in our lives, rather we don't use the grace of God, then people are going to have a hard time seeing God in us. So how do we see, let people see God in us? By how we function in our relationships. How do we keep from causing trouble there? That last phrase there, causing trouble and defiling many, by rooting out bitterness in our lives. And so the writer here is saying, hey, if you want, if, if you want to experience peace, if you want to practice holiness, if, if you want to experience grace, if you want to have good relationships, if you want to be a positive impact, if you want to be a blessing and help the people around you, deal with the bitterness in your life. Well, they use the phrase, the roots of bitterness. So let's just talk about that for a minute here, and then we'll finish up by talking about what we can do to address this issue. The roots of bitterness, and you could say these things about roots. First of all, roots are always beneath the surface and unseen. Now, if you're a gardener, in your, or if you, you know, flowers or whatever, but you go out there and have to root things out in your garden, and you try to pull those things out, especially those big old dandelions, that, you know, get this tall and have the little spiny things or whatever, like, those roots are not coming up. Like, I mean, you got to get the shovel, you got to get the backhoe. Sometimes it's like you can't get that thing out. That's what roots do. That's what roots of bitterness are like in our lives, though. If we let them grow there, They get stuck, but they're beneath the surface, and they're unseen. And we kind of, we know that, right? It's it's not like we walk through life saying, by the way, I'm bitter. There are a few people like that. But it's just stuff that's not there, and we think as long as it doesn't come out, it's fine. But they're, they're, they're there beneath the surface and unseen. Secondly, they have gripping power. It's talked about that. Trying to pull that thing out is hard. And if you're dealing with bitterness, you may find that that's very difficult. But it holds you in a certain place. Thirdly, 
Roots creep and they grow. So my wife likes to do the garden, so she puts the plants in there at the beginning of the, of the summer. And we go through, they reap that. But at the end of the year, I always rip the garden out. But you know what starts is something this big? Sometimes I'm pulling out something this big. Why? Because roots grow. That's one of the dark things about bitterness in our lives is it just doesn't stay the same size. It continues to grow and grow and grow. And as it grows, it grips firmer and firmer and deeper and deeper. And eventually then it does what? It poisons the plant. It takes over our minds, our emotions, our outlooks, our interactions. And it just affects us. And it tears us up sometimes even emotionally, even the things that we feel, the things that we think. And it troubles us. We become cynical. We see the world is out to get us. We tend to live with a chip on our shoulders, or sometimes we have something to prove. And, and everything that we do is filtered through that lens of bitterness, so it affects us. But then, what's the bigger thing? Or the next thing, maybe? It ruins the fruit. And if the roots are bad, the fruit is going to be bad. And if the roots have been poisoned, the fruit is going to be poisoned, and it may even just be destroyed. And this is talking about how it affects others. And this is the point that the writer is making here. When we allow bitterness to be part of our lives, it doesn't just affect us. It affects our mates. It affects our kids. It affects our parents. It affects the people that we work with. It affects the people that are in our small group. It affects the people that we serve with. It affects the people that we run into in all of these different places in our lives. See, bitterness is not a secret that we keep. In fact, here's what we know about bitterness. You ever heard of the bump and spill principle? You ever had this experience where you're walking through the day and you, you know, if somebody's standing there with a cup of coffee and you bump into them, what happens? The coffee spills out? That's literally, but have you ever had this experience where you bump into something and you say something and you get this reaction? You're like, where did that come from? Like, you know, I, I, I didn't even mean anything by that. And it's like this big reaction. Well, what happens is what's inside of us comes out when we get bumped. And when we deal with bitterness and when bitterness is in our lives, when we get bumped, whatever it is, somebody says the wrong thing, somebody looks at us the wrong way, somebody questions something, somebody just happens to be in our way, somebody's impatient with us. When we get bumped, this is what spills out. So we know that bitterness is not effective, it doesn't undo the wrong, and it's very definitely harmful. It hurts you, and it hurts the people around you. So how do we live bitter-free? The decision to live bitter-free, and it is a decision, and it is a choice, because the writer here, so God, is telling us, don't let bitterness be a part. Live in the grace of God. Choose peace. Anytime God gives us a command, God is giving us a choice. If God were to give us a command and we had no ability to choose, that would be unfair. So when God gives us a command, there's always this choice. So when he says, hey, live this way, live bitter free, it is a choice. And so we are, first of all, we are told to do so. We are told to do what? We're told to live peacefully. That doesn't mean that every wrong that we suffer in life is going to be righted. At least not in this life. We do have a just God who does right everything. 
A lot of that was righted through the cross of Christ. But live peacefully. That's the demeanor that we should adopt. That means that we might have to sacrifice a few rights. That means that we might have to turn the other cheek on occasion. And Jesus knew this. Jesus even said it would be hard. But he says, live this way. Live at peace. And if you'll live at peace with others, you're actually going to experience more peace in yourself. The problem with bitterness is what it does to us inside. That's the darkest stormy night. So live peacefully with others so that you can live peacefully yourself. Secondly, we're told to be holy. Now, normally when we think about being holy, we think about being pure or righteous. Usually in the Bible when it talks about holy, it talks about being set apart or separate. So this is talking about living differently. If you're going to live without bitterness in your life, you're going to live different from most of the rest of the world. Because really to live without bitterness means that God and means that grace is going to have to be a part of your story. And so that's the, you know, so choose peace, choose holiness, choose to be different in this situation. Don't miss the grace of God. Don't be bitter. Don't let it take root. So we are told what to do. We're also told why to do it. Well, you know, we're told why to do it. Why, first of all, so you don't do damage to yourself or to the people around you. Don't let it cause trouble. Don't let it become defiling. Secondly, why are we supposed to live this way? Because it's contrary to the grace that we've received. And hold that thought one second. And then thirdly, we're told to live this way because it's a reward for it. The reward is that I get the peace that I'm missing. And so God's just not saying, hey, do this because it's a better plan for the world, you know, to work out. He's saying do this because it'll be better for you. You will experience that peace, and you will experience that grace that comes into your life. And that leads us to our last point here, and that's how in the world do we do this? Okay, Brent, I'm on board. Like, I realize this is destructive. I realize that I need to deal with this in my life. I realize if I don't, it harms me. It harms me. How in the world am I supposed to just get over it? How am I supposed to walk in here like this person that we started the story with and just say, okay, I forgive? Here's the answer. First of all, make every effort. That's what it says. It's not going to be easy. Don't expect it to be easy. Don't expect to say, you know what? I've been bitter for so long. I'm not going to be anymore. Okay, I'm good. Probably not going to happen that way. Okay, but that's what we need to realize. It may be something that you have to work on and come back to and work on some more and come back on and work on some more. But then secondly, and here's the big thing, lean into the grace of God. Lean into the grace of God. And we've already mentioned this. this we're not talking about grace that's, for your salvation, it's grace that demonstrates the salvation that you've experienced. And so when we live up to this grace, what we are doing here is we are living the same way that Christ lived. We're demonstrating the same grace that Christ demonstrated. Who, while we were still sinners responsible for his death, he loved us and offered us eternal life. And so we demonstrate the salvation that we live in because, you know what, I can forgive you because I have been forgiven. I can move past my bitterness because God 
has showed me that same kindness in my life. And I can release you because God has released me. And so grace is about demonstrating then the salvation that you've experienced and taking what God's given you and offering it to somebody else. And it wasn't like God looked at us in our sin and said, oh, you know, they're so nice and it's so, you know, and, and all these wonderful feelings about what we've done. No, it was just like, I'm going to choose to love that person in spite. And that's what grace does. Secondly, grace is the antidote to bitterness. We often talk about the antidote to bitterness as being forgiveness. And I think that's true. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 Paul says, hey, get rid of bitterness in your life and instead offer forgiveness. But forgiveness is just part of the equation. Forgiveness, by the way, is being done with it. It's accepting the debt and releasing it and and moving on. But it's bigger than that, actually. And, And forgiveness is a part of grace. And so the idea here is to extend grace. Thirdly, grace is not about justice. If you're a justice person, I think bitterness may be, I don't know, bitterness may be even a a more difficult struggle because you just sense that it's not right. But grace is never about justice. Grace is never about evening the score. Grace is where bad or evil is done, good is given in response. And so, yes, you have been hurt and injured. I'm going to offer forgiveness. That's part of the goodness. And I'm going to let you go. I'm going to release that debt. And I'm even maybe going to treat you with kindness. That's what grace is. It's not about justice. It's about returning. Grace, then, is about returning good for evil. And this is the Jesus way. You go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, hey, if somebody insults you, what are you supposed to do? Bless them. If somebody persecutes you, what are you supposed to do? Pray for them. If somebody sues you and takes your tunic, what are you supposed to do? Offer them your cloak too. See, the Jesus way is instead of responding in kind, instead of responding to evil with evil, to respond with something totally different and to respond with something good. And that really is what grace is about, because grace is about God giving us supernatural ability. And you can define grace in different ways, and one of the ways that you can define grace is simply the desire and the ability to do the right thing. And when we come to situations like this, you may say, you know what, Brent, I can't do that. That is beyond me. There is no way I can forgive her. There is no way that I can move past her. There is no way that I could pray for this person or pray good for this person. I get that. You're right. But God gives grace. And God looks at us and says, what you can't do on your own, I can do through you. That's how we come to salvation. I can't please God on my own. God gives me grace. But as I live out my Christian life, I still can't do it on my own. And God has to come with grace. And if we're looking at how do we get past bitterness this morning, there's one word. It's grace. And it's the grace that God gives us that we pass on to others. But it's the grace that God gives us that gives us the ability to move past us, even this ability to bless or to pray for. 
or to care for. In 2010, Israel, the young man who shot the other young man, was released from prison. And he's become a very close to Johnson, the mother of the child who was killed. In fact, when we talk about close, he actually moved in next door with her blessing. In fact, she later got married, and he walked her down the murderer. Walked her down the aisle. How do you do that? Several years later, Johnson founded a, uh, the mother founded an organization called Death to Life. It's a nonprofit group that's committed to promoting the healing forgiveness for those who have been impacted by violent crime. And Israel often joins what he calls his spiritual mother to share their story of reconciliation. There's no way, right? There's no way, other than the fact there's grace. And that's the challenge for us this morning. If we want to escape the dark and stormy night of bitterness, look to God's grace. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We'll start here. If you've never experienced God's grace in your life where he forgives you for your sin, that's what the cross was about, and that's what Jesus wants to do for you. He loves you that much. Give your sin to come into your life. And where you sit this morning, you can make that decision to trust Christ and to follow him. Simple prayer, simple conversation between you and God. Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know what my sin cost you. You died for me. Please forgive me. I accept your gift. Please come into my life. It's the most important decision you can make. And it brings this grace into your life. Christ Father, as you sit here today, where is the bitterness in your life? Maybe it's really easy where you can go back to something that happened in the past that you're still struggling with. I don't want to minimize that in any way, shape, or form. It happened, and it was hurtful and harmful. But God's grace can help you this morning. Maybe you're even looking at like, okay, maybe you've seen some things in your life or maybe you get bumped into and you're like, what's coming out of me? Well, maybe you need to go back and say, what is it? Or maybe it's just something simple where you just are harboring ill feelings towards somebody or carrying a grudge. I don't know. But where do you need to deal with the bitterness in your life? Will you take that step this morning, at least to confess it and to ask for God's help? That's the challenge this morning. God, you are a God of grace. You don't live bitter towards us. And yet you have every reason to. Instead, you give us grace and you give us love and you give us favor. You give us forgiveness and hope. And we praise you for that this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with me this morning. We're going to finish with a song we've been singing recently called The Lord's Prayer. There's an interesting phrase in that prayer, though, isn't there? But Jesus says, when you pray, pray this. Father, forgive me as I forgive.